Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and all of us reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. Before we get going, a few important notes. First of all, you can now subscribe and listen to this podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. I love Stitcher. I use it every day. It keeps a playlist of your favorite shows and automatically updates with new episodes so you don't have to download each one and take up space on your phone. It does, however, let you download episodes if you want for offline listening. So it's a great app. Fully recommend it. Download the Stitcher app and subscribe to the Telling the Story podcast. Secondly, I have to mention my new book on sale now. It's called The Solo Video Journalist, and it is a how-to guide for TV multimedia journalists or MMJs or one-man and one-woman bands. It's specifically aimed at those young storytellers entering the business, and it features advice not just from myself, but from nearly a dozen top solo video journalists in the business today. The book, again, The Solo Video Journalist, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and my publisher's website. We've got the links in the show notes for this podcast. This is a special podcast. Normally, I have one guest from the news industry. This time, I have four. That's because it's a compilation. It's a compilation of some of my favorite clips from my favorite podcasts of 2016, a best-of edition of the Telling the Story podcast, specifically focusing on advice for those getting into the business. So, let's jump right in. The first clip comes from my first episode of the calendar year, episode 37, and it features two photojournalists who, when we recorded, had each just won the National Press Photographers Association's Regional Photographer of the Year Award. Jed Gamber is the chief photographer at WBFF-TV in Baltimore. He won the MPPA's East Regional Award, and Catherine Stewart is a photographer at WTVF-TV in Nashville. She won the Central Regional Award. I enjoyed this conversation for a few reasons. First, I love Jed and Catherine. They're just all-around enjoyable people to talk with, and they're tremendously insightful about the business and how to tell good stories, so love them for that. And secondly, they uh, they took a different career route than I did, and than most do who enter local TV news today. Most young journalists start as one-man and one-woman bands. Jed and Catherine are traditional photographers. They don't do it all. And they have already charted wonderful careers at a relatively young age. That's a large part of what we discuss here, as well as just a boatload of great advice for young journalists of all stripes. What's compelling about both of you achieving the honors that you've achieved is that you're both relatively young. It didn't seem like very long ago where in a big market you rarely saw a photographer in their 20s or early 30s those positions, frankly, from, you know, just as someone who follows the business, as we all do, it seemed like those positions were gradually getting phased out. You rarely saw people wanting to invest in a career in photography. And most aspiring journalists you did see were learning how to do it all, like I do, shooting and editing my own stories. So it's very heartening and very gratifying to see two people like yourselves, and you're not alone as younger photographers who are really carrying the torch and really advancing and building upon those who came before you. Catherine, I'll start with you. How did you get into this business? And specifically, did you feel like when you first got started that you could make a steady career as a news photographer? Well, I I was majoring in journalism in college, but I actually hadn't seen the camera side of things until... um, the last year, and actually, I'm—I have a very, very lucky 
story, how I got into it. Scott Jensen actually taught a class at my college in Anchorage, um, and I took his class. And so I got a very early, just kind of right off the bat, I got shown what you can do in news that I did not think you could do in news. I The storytelling thing I had never heard of or anything like that. And so I got a taste of it then. And um, uh, so I started as a part-time photojournalist in Anchorage. Um, and Scott was there as well. So I really had him as a mentor for the first, I mean, e even now, but early on, I was very lucky to have that. And so that kind of got me into it uh, right away. He kind of introduced NPPA and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I just thought, this is, this is what I want to do. This is, and, and I want to do it this way because I feel so much for it. And so immediately I really wanted to set out to make people feel for stories like, like I was for the examples I was being shown. And so I, I just kind of committed right away to set out to, to do that. So that's what I've been trying to do <laughs> since. <laughs> So many people, I feel like, enter the, the field with idealistic goals, and then those goals are gradually removed through, you know, years and, and stories that just breed cynicism and, and, and get people jaded very quickly. You obviously uh, continue to find ways to, you know, find the heart in your story, and it's really wonderful. What has been your key to doing that? learning from everybody constantly i i mean from the beginning and now i mean I'm, I'm at a shop with incredible photographers um and everybody's willing to talk about what they do and i watch mppa videos like nobody's business and <laughs> I, I don't know i just i i pick brains when i can and i just really try to that's something that's so cool about this business that i don't think i don't think that you ever stop learning and it amazes me you know, in the beginning when I, when proper iris and stuff was really scary and, and just getting all that stuff right was like, oh, okay, this is a lot to tackle. But then as every year goes by, I can't believe the things that I'm getting to learn from people and the stories that are coming out. And, and I think that's been, that's been, that's been it. I mean, it's just really taking as much as I can from, from people and from stories and, and the, the people that are in those stories and just kind of trying to run with it and do better every time. So, I mean, it's been, it's been little goals, uh, nonstop, but, um, I, I think I've been able to watch so many people do such great things that I've tried to kind of absorb as much as I can, you know, through my career. So I think that's been the biggest, the biggest thing that's been driving me is just to kind of keep learning. Very cool. Jed, uh, I know we were uh, at one point during this podcast, Catherine dropped off the screen for a few minutes. So you and I were killing time and chatting. And uh, and I learned something that I did not know, which is that you uh, started in this business as a sports guy and actually still do some fill in sports work at WBFF. I think Catherine seems to be surprised to hear this, too. Um, <laughs> so what were your long term dreams starting out? How did you develop a passion for photography to the point where it has become your main thing. I mean, even as the fill-in sports guy, you're the chief photojournalist at WBFF, and that is the primary <laughs> title to which I assume you uh, put the most weight. 
Yeah, um, I I started out like every other kid. I wanted to be on Sports Center. You know, you grow up watching Sports <laughs> Center, you want to be on Sports Center with the catchy phrases. Uh, whenever somebody hits a home run or has a slam dunk, but uh, yeah, uh, um, I I started out as a sports producer part time at WBFF actually, and um, I built a tape by going out with Stan Heist. Actually, he shot the first thing that was on my resume tape that went out to Charlottesville, and I was there in Charlottesville, Virginia, for three years. Uh, I did some one-man banding stuff because I was the weekend sports guy. So um, to gather my inspiration, I would watch stories from Darren Durlach and um, NPPA stories from there. And I, I was watching them and I was watching them. And then I would have people over from my station and we would end up watching them. And then we'd end up spending all night watching NPPA stories. And then um, the opportunity came about that, well, number one, I got engaged so I was coming home anyway. And uh, BFF had an opening for a photojournalist, and I applied, and I got the job, and and that was when uh, I was like, you know what, I I want to work really hard to be part of the tradition here, and um, I went to the workshop a few years ago, and I've since um, worked as hard as I can to tell as best the stories that I can. So you obviously, uh, as the chief, you do a lot of hiring. Um, mm-hmm. You're speaking at conferences. Uh, you've, you've done quite a few already this year, and you'll be speaking in Atlanta. You run into, I'm sure, a lot of aspiring photographers, a lot of college students. What do you say to those students who really want to be a news photographer, not an MMJ, not an editor, not on the air, a photographer? Go out there and shoot, and um, if you're really passionate about about it, go find something that you're also passionate about, like uh, a sport or any interest that you have other than photography and try to shoot that a, a drill that I love to give new shooters is go find a, a car out back and shoot the license plate 15 different ways. You are now the second podcast guest of mine to make that recommendation. I love it. Well, that's good. It must be like a little NPPA thing. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the thing. Like if you, if you love it that much after that, then maybe we can go somewhere with it, but yeah, it's, it's find some other thing that you're passionate about and try to tell a story about it and challenge yourself in a way that you don't have a reporter. Try to tell this on your own. Try to do a natural sound package out of it. And if it's terrible, it's terrible. But the thing is, everybody has to start somewhere. So, you know, find uh, find a, um, a mentor. Make sure you have a mentor and find somebody that you uh, you really admire in their work and keep watching and watching, learning and learning. And I feel like people steal from everybody techniques in this business. And I feel like that helps the business as a whole. So uh, yeah, just keep building, watching other people and uh, going from there and knock them dead. And what about advice just in terms of, again, uh, you know, I, I think, heck, I answer this question for MMJs all the time who want to know if it's still possible to make a living and make a career in this business. You two are both, photographers who are doing so in big markets and obviously have achieved very nice heights. Jed, I'll start with you. What do you say to that question about whether it's possible and whether it's feasible to expect to be able to really make a living as a photojournalist on a local TV news station? Oh, absolutely. But it, it depends on your, uh, on your drive uh, to tell great stories. I think one of the things that I've, at least I've tried to do at BFF right now with my uh, recent hires is, um, we will give you the creative freedom to do what you want to do. And I want you to fail, but I don't want you to fail the same way twice, meaning that I want you to learn from your mistakes. Try different things because boring news is some is news that nobody wants to watch. But it, the more we change news to be more, I, I guess, viewer friendly for this 
age, this generation of really short attention spans, trying to make it look different, trying to tell better stories, because it's one thing that won't change is great storytelling. People love stories. So try to, when you have this creative freedom, go out and try to turn a Vosat into something more. Try to talk to your producers and say, hey, I know you're giving me 40 seconds for this Vosat, but give me a minute and let me try to do something with it. And maybe it'll be a little more interesting. And if you do that, you know, when you come in the next day, your news director, your chief, somebody's going to give you a pat on the back saying, hey, that was pretty awesome. Build from there. Catherine, same question for you. What do you say to the college student or a young news photographer who wants to know, can I make a living doing this over the long haul? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I a lot of Jed stuff, uh, what he said, I, I completely agree with. And, I, you know, be willing to there's there's a lot of work that comes with this job and i think you have to be willing to understand that you're going to constantly be making mistakes and you know you're going to be missing moments and i think that it's just really important for people to realize that that is just something that you you constantly do and you learn from it and if you're willing to just kind of get up and be like okay i'm going to go out next time and i'm going to try not to try not to do this or try to do this. And, and then I think that, you know, you grow. Um, and another thing for people just, you know, starting out, I'd say make, make people watch your work, you know, find somebody to throw ideas out with, find somebody to, to critique you and, you know, take, take all of that that you can get because there, I think there's so many people in this business who want to teach and want to mentor and, and, you know, want to give advice and, and see people's work. And I think that's such a, that's, I mean, that's what I did. And I can't imagine where I'd be without people constantly critiquing stuff and telling me, you know, what I could have done differently. And I was excited to get out there and, and, and try their suggestions and things like that. So I think it's, it's definitely something people can make a career out of. And, and if you're willing to bounce ideas off of people and just kind of, be okay with the constant changing and, and learning, then I think it's something that anybody can really get into. That's Catherine Stewart and Jed Gamber, reigning NPPA Regional Photographers of the Year for the Central and East Regions. They both spoke at an event that was one of the highlights of my 2016, the NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop. I planned the event along with John Kirtley, who was another great podcast guest this year. You can check that one out on the blog at episode 41. John and I found the venue, developed the speaker list, and sold out 200 tickets to what wound up being a special, special weekend filled with great advice on storytelling from some of the best in the country. And in episode 40 of the Telling the Story podcast, I interviewed our keynote speaker and a person who I've shouted out on this blog more than any other reporter by far. Boyd Hoopert is a reporter for Care TV in Minneapolis. This fall, he won his 100th regional Emmy an astounding number and just one of the many signs of the phenomenal storyteller he is. Back in the spring, Boyd Hooper and I chatted on the podcast. He offered some wonderful insights into his craft as well as storytelling itself. You work with plenty uh, in your own shop, plenty of up-and-coming reporters and MMJs. You obviously speak to so many. What's the best piece of advice that they are not getting? Um, learn a lot of everything in the first couple of years of your career, but then start to figure out that one thing that you're really, really good at. Um, and, and that could be 
you, you work a police beat really well and you've got great sources at the police department or maybe it's the capital and you really enjoy political reporting um, or or maybe it's human interest stories and you really want to work on those storytelling skills whatever that thing is when I look around um, this market and other markets that I've worked in and I see the people that that um, have really been endured and have found great satisfaction in their careers and frankly have become valuable to their employers and uh, uh, and are the ones that their employers want to keep and, and you know with that comes better raises and all of those sorts of things it's those it's those people who've gotten really good at something and if and if have become irreplaceable in their newsrooms. Um, the middle is a is not a great place to be in a TV newsroom, where you're good at a lot of things but not great at anything, and uh, that's the piece of advice that I think I would give young people. Doesn't mean you have to do that the first year in your career. I think it's really good to try a lot of things and figure out what that one thing is. Uh, there's a reporter here in in this market who owns social media. I, he's got I don't know probably. 30 times the Twitter followers that I do, but he's made that his thing and that's made him more valuable to his TV station. Uh, so whatever that thing is, find it. I think uh, a lot of young journalists enter the business these days and they don't, they don't get feedback from above that values storytelling. And I know this is, you know, storytelling is something that you hold dear. It's probably the bedrock of almost every speech and presentation I've ever heard you give. But I feel like for a lot of young journalists, they're not getting that emphasis from those at the top. They're more told to churn out content, supply social media, supply three different shows. They see newsrooms that don't value what the NPPA might call traditional storytelling. Are you concerned that as a business we're straying from that and that younger journalists specifically are not getting that ingrained in them as much as maybe they should be? Yeah, my, my sense is actually just the opposite. I think we're heading into a new wave of uh, storytelling, and I think it's being driven by social media. And and I I think that companies, newsrooms that aren't paying attention to this it soon will be, um, because I, I look at what's being shared from our newscasts. Is we have a chart beat hanging on the wall in our newsroom. I assume you do too. And uh, I think that uh, the... Well, I, I, th I think that the elements of story are so universal. Um, and if, if they weren't, there'd be no Hollywood. If they weren't, there'd be no publishing industry. And I think that some of the assumptions that we've made as journalists over the years have been misguided. And I think that now that we have a better window into what our viewers are interested in, and, and not just interested in, but interested enough to, to share a story on a Facebook page, uh, that's a connection to a story when that happens. And when I look at the stories that are being shared on our Facebook page, you know, they're, they're not garage fires. Um, they're not some of the crime-driven things that we always assumed that viewers wanted or, or, or we covered because they were, frankly, they were really easy to cover. They're stories with some depth and they're stories with emotion and they're stories that allow us as viewers to make a connection to another human being. Uh, feature stories work really well when we're looking at those things, but so do hard news stories when they're handled handled with storytelling tools. So I'm re I'm really optimistic about the future of storytelling, uh, and, and 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 it's based on what I'm seeing in our newsroom. That's great, and I know you've uh, I'm a loyal follower of your Facebook page for Land of Ten Thousand Stories, and you've had some 
fabulous social media successes through that. Is there one in particular where it just reached a number of people that you never fathomed uh, a story of yours would ever get? Yeah, I, I did a story a couple of years ago uh, about a, a little boy named Emmett, and uh, he was three years old at the time and struck up a friendship with a World War II veteran named Erling, and um, it ran in our Atlanta 10,000 Story segment and went nuts on social media, and um, we ended up doing a couple of follow-ups after uh, on the two of them later that also did very well on social media. And I think it's things like that, that have helped me understand the potential of this. Uh, as someone who's spent his entire career in a local market, um, I've appreciated the fact that I have network reach, uh, depending on the story that I do. I mean, that, that story in particular has been shared many, many times more than the number of people who watch and watch a network newscast. So we should, those of us who toil in local television should be excited about the fact we have a worldwide reach now for the stories that we do, which behooves us even more to figure out the tools and techniques that we can use to tell those stories to broaden the reach. Boyd, uh, before we let you go, I always like to end with that famous reporter's question. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add? Oh, wow. Yeah, I use that one all the time. It usually works out pretty well. Um, no, other than this is my 30, uh, no, I'm about to hit 33 years as a reporter. Um, and uh, I still love it. And that would be the thing I guess I would also share with young journalists is this is a great profession. If, uh, if you're in journalism school, if you're a recent graduate, you're going to hear some negative things about this industry that we're in. And yes, there are challenges. But I can't think 30 some years into my career of anything else I'd rather be doing. I, I love this profession. And there have been a, a few times during my career where things got challenging, where I considered maybe using the skills that I had to break out of the TV newsroom and maybe go into public relations or, or some other profession like that that values the skills that we have as journalists. But I'm so glad that I didn't because I feel like at this point in my career, I can reap some of the rewards for the investments that I made early on. And uh, in, in going to those workshops and staying late to make a story better, even though it's just going to air on the morning show, Right. Because, you know, it didn't live up to my expectations for the 10. So let's let's re-edit it and try and make it better. But I feel like all of that has paid off now in this latter part of my career because I, I still can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. That's Boyd Hoopert. He is the man behind the renowned land of 10,000 stories segment at Care TV in Minneapolis. He's one of the best feature reporters in the world. He was the keynote speaker at this year's NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop. Planning that workshop was a huge highlight of my 2016. The other huge highlight, getting to officially announce the news about the publication of my book. I mentioned it at the top of the show. It's called The Solo Video Journalist. It's the only book that I know that provides a how-to guide for one of the most populous positions in local TV news, the multimedia journalist, or MMJ, or backpack journalist, or reporter who shoots his or own stories. I interviewed a dozen journalists for the book, including Boyd Hoopert, actually, who was gracious enough even to write the foreword for the book. And one of my favorite experiences while doing this research was heading out to San Diego to interview a pair of terrific MMJs, Greg Bledsoe of KNSD and the guy you're about to hear, Joe Little of KGTV. 
I interviewed Joe Little for the chapter in my book on shooting your own stand-up as a solo act, but we talked on the podcast about a wide range of things, and Joe came through with some really good advice for all of the solo video journalists doing their thing today. I get a sense, especially as I speak with folks now, that so many MMJs, especially the younger ones, feel very overwhelmed. You know, it's, it's, and I get that because it's their first or second job. You're in your early 20s. You're trying to figure out life. And you're also trying to figure out how to do every, uh, every responsibility that comes with being a solo act. What were some of the things that you did early in your career to just, before you even got good or, or you know, got creative, just to make your life easier? That it all comes down to time management. It's so cliche and it, everyone hates to hear it. But when I look at my day and I, I back time it like a producer. I back time my day from what time does my story air? Okay, I need an hour to edit. I don't, but I give myself an hour to edit. Then I give myself an hour to write. Then I realize if you get, if I even take 30 minutes to drive on, on back ends, I still have three and a half hours to shoot a story. When I realized, when I looked at my day like that, when I was able to time, manage my time and see, okay, hour for this, hour for this, I had this huge, epic chunk of time in my day that, granted, some days I use every single second of and dip into the other categories. But when I managed, when I sat down and literally managed my time and mapped out my daily structure, it was this eye-opening, and it it did remove a lot of the stress. And I did that, I would say, legitimately sat down. The first week I started at 10 News, because in my first time I was working as a full-time MMJ, like every day this is my life. Uh, the first week was a dumpster fire. I was like, what the hell is going on here? I am screwing myself. So I mapped it out. And I'm like, okay, I, this is not that bad now. If I just get on my horse and go, there are days where I have four and a half hours to shoot. <laughs> if it takes you four and a half hours to shoot a minute and a half package or even <laughs> two minute and a half packages – you're doing something colossally wrong. And with that knowledge, when you just manage your time and you map out your day, just your, not the story for that day, but just your normal day, that will relieve a lot of stress when you see those windows. And then you can set yourself mini deadlines. Okay, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, I'm, I'm 30 minutes ahead of my next deadline. That means I've got 30 more minutes on the back end to relieve that stress. And then it's a little alarm. So if you hit that deadline, you're like, okay, <laughs> Need to get on my horse and drum it up a little faster. That was the, the biggest key. The next step was really, really dorking out with my gear. Mm. I mean, straight up nerd. I took my camera. Every time I get a new camera, you've had, I'm sure you've had plenty of cameras you've been graduated through at, at your station yep. or through your career. Every time I get a new camera, I dork out and I take it home and I just play with it. I am shooting things in my kitchen. I'm, I'm playing with the white balance. I'm, it's not on company time. You've got to do it on your own time, but you take ownership of it because it's going to pay off when you know your gear. I know I can set my tripod up in the dark. I know that I can white balance without looking at my buttons. When you dork out like that, <laughs> it makes that time management window even bigger because during the day, you're not trying to figure out what you did wrong on your camera or how to do something because you already dorked out over the weekend, you know? Pardon my term of dorked out, but I think it's a legitimately good term because a lot of us are nerds about this business and, you know, but it, it works. 
manage your time, and then dork out with your gear. Because a lot of these younger MMJs, they're they're really just focused on the, the the journalism and getting the story right and the information. But you know, we're in television. You got to record it and edit it together, which means you got to do all this stuff at the same time. If you learn your gear and manage your time, it will make your day a million times better. And I think that's such an important point because the first job is to do the journalism, get the story right. And that's why the, uh, you know, the really getting good with your gear, a lot of times that is something you have to do on your own time by taking the camera home. And, and it's interesting too, because I think for someone like you, and, and I know for someone like me, it's almost easy to do that. My first job was in sports. And when I started shooting highlights of football games, it became so much of a second nature thing for me just to want to capture the perfect highlight and to totally break it down and analyze what I needed to do as a photographer to get those shots. But it's not like that for everybody. And certainly plenty of people who want to be more traditional reporters, they don't necessarily take to the idea of having to learn all about white balance and the iris and everything that comes with the camera. I would imagine your advice to those folks would be that ultimately I know this is what my advice would be. I'd imagine you would say something similar that just ultimately you at least have to get enough of a knowledge of it to be able to still tell those stories visually well, because those are the stories that are going to be on your resume tape or your reel. Mm -hmm. Those are the stories that are going to win you awards. Those are the stories that are going to get you noticed. You have to have the visual part in order to make a great television story. Yeah. Otherwise you're doing radio. Yeah. And that doesn't pay at all. (laughs) Radio. So yeah, it's, it's, I, you said it perfectly, dude. It's perfect. I can't even add to that, so I'm going to shut up. Very good. <laughs> when you uh, when you go to these conferences and you speak, you obviously you, you've at this point you've heard from and met so many young MMJs. Give me. L- l- we'll do this in two parts. First, give me the one thing that maybe they have in common that they have not learned yet. What's the lesson that most young MMJs maybe think they know? or are just don't haven't quite discovered yet outside of time management that is kind of a common thread most young mmjs and i'm sure you've seen this are in survival mode like lord god let me get through this day and have somehow edit a package that doesn't have a black hole in it mm-hmm. you know if it's just there it's a, it's a series of wide shots and medium shots and public information officers, the information is correct, but it is a, it's like reading a newspaper article with moving pictures. And it's just, if you've ever read a newspaper article out loud, you, you, it's awful. It's awful sounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's beautifully written, but it just sounds bad coming out of your mouth. And that's the biggest thing is just that they're just in survival mode. Let me get through this day. And to that, I'm sure you would say, we all say, it's like, okay, you're, you're surviving now. All right. Now today, focus on one thing, add one thing to your toolbox this week. This week, I want you to focus on getting close-ups too. You've got your plenty of wide shots and every shot is a medium shot, but every now and then get in on just, just get those simple things of a super close-up of Whatever the story is, if it's about a dog, get a close-up of his snout, his nose, or his, his claws, or his eyeball. Let the, camera, let the eyeball fill up. Just get one thing. And then, you know what, next week, let's focus on 
microphone placement, using a lavalier to, you know, you're pointing the camera there, let's put the lavalier there so we really hear that, that deep fryer. You're at the county fair. Poor MMJs in the small markets always have to cover the county fair for two weeks at a time. So take the lav and put it near the deep fryer, not in the deep fryer, and get that grease frying up. Right? Then put it next to the lamb, the the, the livestock, and put it this way. You hear the, the nah, you know, I just did that, by the way. Um, that was not a lamb. Just, no, that was not a lamb. That was that was Joe Little, sound effects man. But just adding little things, because right now the most thing, the, the worst thing for the young MMJs, and I see it every year, everywhere I go, college campuses, hell, there are MMJs in my station who still just are in survival mode. And I tell them, okay, get comfortable survival mode. Now, just add this. You're not going to look like Matt Pearl in the first week. It's going to take years to get to that level. But in the next month, we can get you shooting sequences. You know, in the next month after that, we'll work on story arc and 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 some great reveals, you know, it, it just, you'll add layers and layers, just like to a good story, you add layers and layers to your repertoire. But yeah, it, it, it's not overnight. And the biggest thing is just survival mode for those young MMJs. Yeah. And, and that I think has a way too of just completely removing one's personality because you don't get to show oh, it when you're too busy not, trying to get a story on the air. Yeah. They're done. They're just like, just, okay, did I spell this guy's name right? Doesn't matter. We're on television. Did I say everything correctly? Am I at least identifying the city? Yeah, that's great, all good stuff, you know, and that's still going to be important 20 years from now, but now we got to make the visuals match right. it. And that's, and, and again, you got to walk before you can run. You got to get all the information right and spell all the names right before you start shooting eight part standups, but you can, <laughs> you can take that first step try. every day yes. and, you know, eventually get to the point where you're running. All right. So now I'll ask uh, the flip of that question, Joe, which is, you know, you obviously fly the flag for, for solo video journalism, as do I, and, and it's great to have allies like you out there, you know, people who I think, again, love to speak about this stuff and love to promote it as not just, a, you know, a runner-up position, but a real great way to make a living in this business. What is the most inspiring thing or, or the, the thing that gives you the most hope as far as the MMJs you see coming out of college and, and the young ones in the business, what, what gives you the most hope when you look at this group and the work that they do? I think with the, the technology, they, it's, it's part of their DNA coming out of school. When you were not, well, at least when I was in school, access to high-grade television cameras and the editing systems did not exist. That's such a good point. I didn't touch I didn't touch tape to tape and I did tape to tape youngins um when I first started. I didn't touch a tape to tape editor until college and even then it was a SVHS. And then I did three quarter inch at Syracuse and then my first job at Hagerstown was uh this new weird thing called DVC Pro and I was like yeah. tape to tape. These kids these days are coming in with iMovie on their phones. I mean, I'm looking at these kids in these in these middle school programs. They the access to technology that we use on the pro level, it's in their schools. My son, who's when the second third grade was editing movies for his Spanish class on iMovie and on iPad, I'm going, oh hell, I'm going to be a dinosaur in ten years. It's these young kids are 
the MMJ mentality is already there. Like I, I don't know about you, but I have to force myself to tweet mostly because I say I hate saying the word tweet. But I have to sit there and go, tweet. Okay, I have to type. Okay, too many, too many damn letters. Damn it, delete one word. Okay, I have to think. For them, it's natural. It's natural for them. It's part of their growing up. If they stay in the program. They, they go to college and they do they all this technology is at their disposal where we didn't get it. I didn't get it at least until I was paid. And so I was literally learning on the job this gear. These guys is part of their DNA. So they almost already have this MMJ mentality of especially getting the social media involved with the news. They just get a little more they get the ethics training and the journalism training and they mix it in with the, the technology that's already part of their DNA from childhood. They're going to be – they're going to pass us by when they start introducing real tech – like more whatever the next thing is. You know, I'm going to be that old guy going, what are you doing over there? Oh, that's a new thing, Joe. I'm like, well, geez, I'm going to be over here using my Geritol. It's just they are blessed with technology as part of their DNA. I was in that little area where my first – I remember I set up my first Yahoo email account at Syracuse in 1999, these guys don't even use email. They're doing whatever they'll do, whatever. I just sound so old. No, right no, now. yeah. I mean, great, <laughs> great way to connect with the kids is by dropping those Geritol references. By the way, <laughs> oh, I hate you. Good stuff. Anyway. <laughs> Good stuff. That's Joe Little. He's a hoot. He embraces his old manness, which is funny because he's not really that old. But he was a great guest on episode 46 of the Telling the Story podcast, and that will do it for this episode, episode 48 of the Telling the Story podcast. There you go. I hope you enjoyed those snippets from the podcasts through the year. 2016 was a truly memorable year for me, but one of the highlights of each year recently has been having this blog and this podcast and hearing people respond to it and enjoy it. We're going to keep on going in 2017, and if you have any suggestions for great podcast guests, Email me at matt at tellingthestoryblog.com. I would love to hear it. All right. The Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher Smart Radio. And check out my new book, The Solo Video Journalist. I'm so proud of it. I hope it will be a huge resource for young TV reporters out there. I hope you check it out. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time.